Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here, as always, with Jeff Simmons. How's it going, Jeff? Happy end of Women's History Month. Happy end of Women's History Month to you, too, Celeste. As you know, this is the moment I look forward to every week, spending this hour with you and talking about local city state national politics yeah definitely looking forward to today's program lots to talk about besides the oscars i totally get why everybody has been talking about that but i think it's probably a subject for another program uh lots of other stuff to talk about in the city this week uh i don't know about you jeff one thing i've been watching is mayor eric adams undertaking this plan to dismantle homeless encampments he said the city is going to take out 180 such uh makeshift setups including places like uh, under the bqe and you know as it's been widely reported the city can't actually force people to get off the street. And there have been a lot of questions about the handouts of these brochures advertising this new type shelter for people with nowhere to go. Um, Obviously, the issue of people without permanent safe housing has been snowballing in the city for a long time. It's just not clear to me how much this new tactic is actually going to do to address the root causes. And from what I've been reading, it doesn't look like that many people have sought out city shelters as a result of this move. But what are you looking at? What are you thinking about, Jeff? Yeah, and that is the key thing I've been watching closely. As you know, I work with one nonprofit that deals with issues involving homelessness. And, you know, I talked with them earlier today and they said, you know, what's so interesting is that the city administration is approaching this problem in a way where they are going after what is visible. But you have to step back and, and think about the much bigger issue, which is evictions as one of those root causes. One of the reasons people are Uh, experiencing homelessness is because they cannot afford to pay rent. And given the end of the moratoria on a state level and a federal level, they're expecting possibly hundreds of thousands of evictions across the state in the near future, Celeste. Yeah, that's that's really shocking. And that's something that we should revisit. We have talked about the eviction moratorium. We have talked about homelessness, but uh, basically you can't have enough shows. You can't have enough conversation about that, uh, including here on WBAI. So um, as we had mentioned before, just want to take a moment. Today is in fact the final day of this 2022 Women's History Month. And it's kind of too bad that we actually only pause officially to take note of the contributions and accomplishments of the women in our lives and in our history once a year, because this really is something that we can and should acknowledge all year round, Jeff. Oh, I agree. And, you know, WBAI, is, as our listeners know, ha- has celebrated Women's History Month in a lot of great ways. So today, for instance, you can go to women.wbai.org or you could just go to the WBAI.org website and you'll find where to go right away and make a contribution to free speech radio and check out some of the amazing thank you gifts that we have available for your donation of just a month or more. That's when you become a BAI buddy. Become a BAI buddy of Celeste and me in the name of this show, in the name of Driving Forces. We just want to get one or two BAI buddies today to end this month on a high note. And that what you can get also by becoming a BAI buddy is a wonderful women's history audio collection, a classic WBAI tote bag and more. So again, go to WBAI.org or women.org wbai.org today. You could show your gratitude for women and support this station. It is not too late to do that. 
So speaking of women, we are actually going to have one of the top women of the New York City political press corps joining us in just a moment to discuss a major controversy that has been the talk of the city. Of course, we are talking about the vaccine mandate. As you may well know from reading, seeing it on TV, listening to it on the radio, uh, Mayor Eric Adams isn't just causing a stir with his new policy on the homeless that we talked about a moment ago. He's also making lots and lots of headlines for his decision to allow unvaccinated pro athletes like uh, Kyrie Irving and the Nets to play in the city. Irving had been on suspension for his refusal to get the vaccine. Uh, Naturally, this decision by uh, Mayor Adams to make an exception for sports stars and entertainers has raised the hackles of public worker unions who say it's unfair to break the rules for celebrities while refusing to bend them for regular men and women in city service. And of course, there are also vaccine mandates in place for private businesses. Uh, The current guidance on NYC.gov, for example, says in part, workers in New York City who perform in-person work or interact with the public in the course of business must show proof that they have received a COVID-19 vaccine and that, uh, you know, there's a prohibition on letting unvaccinated workers and a workplace is uh, considered any location, including a vehicle where you work in the presence of at least one other person. So that pretty much covers it. And I was just looking today, as a matter of fact, the Staten Island Advance is reporting that kids who don't get vaccinated will not be allowed to attend prom this year. This is the return of in-person prom for the first time in a couple of years. And so, you know, the vaccine mandate is really extending to lots and lots of different parts of our lives. Uh, now, I think it's worth saying outright at this point that no matter how you feel about personally getting the vaccine or whether you think it should be a matter of individual choice and only that, there is a preponderance of data showing that the vaccine is safe and effective in preventing COVID-19 and mitigating its effects. So all that said, what is behind this decision from the Adams administration about who has to get vaccinated and who doesn't in New York City? Uh, Joining us right now to talk about this is Sally Goldenberg. She is City Hall Bureau Chief for Politico New York. Sally's been with Politico since 2013. She signed on at that time to cover the de Blasio administration, also spent three years covering the city's housing and economic development agendas. And before that, she covered the city council and former mayor Michael Bloomberg's administration for the New York Post. She's also been a reporter for the Staten Island Advance and the New Jersey Star Ledger. Sally Goldenberg, welcome back to WBAI. Hi, thank you for having me. Always, always great to hear your voice. So uh, lots to talk about. To start out, maybe just fill us in on where Mayor Adams is right now with these vaccine mandates and exemptions. How is he justifying making, uh, you know, sort of bending or breaking the rules for people like uh, Kyrie Irving and other pro athletes? Excuse me. What Mayor Adams is saying is that the uh, policy under his predecessor, Mayor de Blasio, allowed out-of-town athletes to come into New York and play here, as well as performers. But, you know, the conversation has mostly focused on athletes. And that the rules basically created a two-tiered system whereby athletes belonging to New York teams had to be vaccinated, but an athlete flying in from, you know, Dallas or San Francisco or Miami or wherever didn't have to be vaccinated. And the de Blasio administration says, you know, they didn't have the jurisdictional um, allowance to dictate that for out-of-town athletes. So the answer that Mayor Adams has to this, you know, what he sees as a problem is to just lift it entirely for performance venues, which include and are, you know, most talked about in the realm of sports arenas. 
So, Sally Goldenberg, you've been following this, obviously, very closely. I've read uh, stuff that you've written about it. You know, what what are you hearing specifically about, you know, the latest union responses to the mayor's decision to ease these restrictions? Uh, you know, I, I see that there's been some outcry. Do you think that there's any chance that he will reconsider and say, you know, we shouldn't have done that? I don't think so. I mean, I think what's going to happen, he has said he wants to lift the entire private sector mandate and... I, he hasn't indicated what he will do about the public sector mandate, which is the city unions that you're referring to. But he seems to be moving generally in the direction of a looser approach to vaccine mandates, mask mandates. He talks a lot about bringing the city back to a sense of normalcy back into the city. And so I think he would be much more likely from his you know, public posture to lift mandates in a broader way than to reverse the one he just did. And Sally, it's wonderful to have you on the show today. Uh, you know, I talked with one union leader in the last 24 hours and she said some of her members are just so upset about this decision because they watched some of their other uh, members who did not get vaccinated, who lost their jobs in the last few weeks as a result of this. You know, do you think that Adams is making a purely economic calculation in this decision? Yes, I do. I think it's both. Well, I should say, I think he seems to be generally kind of over it with COVID. I mean, you know, I think he really wants, like I said, he he talks a lot about bringing a sense of normalcy back to New York City. That is largely economic. But I think, you know, he would probably like to lift all of these mandates. Some are easier than others. Um, But I do think there's both a macroeconomic thing here where he wants, you know, he wants people going to the sporting arenas and then, you know, going to the bar across the street or the vent, you know, buying something from a vendor at the, you know, at the stadium. You know, I think that's a big part of it. And then he also just personally got, you know, uh, a financial windfall from the owner of the Mets. Steve Cohen gave a million and a half dollars to uh, a a super PAC that supported him in the mayoral primary and has, you know, been a big supporter of his. So it's important to point that out as well. We're talking to Sally Goldenberg. She is City Hall Bureau Chief for Politico New York, talking about Mayor Eric Adams and the uh, bending of the uh, vaccine mandate, making uh, exceptions for pro athletes and entertainers. And I want to stay on that for a moment, Sally, because I I really do think that's important. And I I know that you're good at following the money in politics. Are are there other people or other, uh, you know, influencers financially or otherwise that might have had a role in in pushing for this exemption well you know he's i don't think the i don't know of the nets uh donating any money to him and in fact i was under the impression that the mayor was you know pretty um ticked off because he was kind of called out personally by some of the players on the nets and so I think this was done more, you know, with the mess in mind. Um, you know, and that was the that was the big kind of sum of money he got to his pack. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting to me because uh, I've seen, for example, some reports even about uh, the former city council speaker, Corey Johnson, uh, having lobbied uh, Mayor Adams on this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's worth mentioning. Have we heard anything more on that? Did it take a while for the mayor to admit that? Yes. In fact, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, he was lobbied on behalf of the Mets by a firm called Moonshot Strategies that ran the independent expenditure that Steve Cohen, you know, donated to. And that firm lobbied him for lifting the vaccine. Um, so there was, you know, that kind of that connection to Steve Cohen and the Mets. And, you know, of course, it's the announcement at City Field. And then, yeah, you're exactly right. The former city council speaker, Corey Johnson, reported getting uh, paid by the Nets to lobby the administration on this. And so, you know, I think he has a pretty good relationship with some high-level people in the administration. He was kind of working with them on the race to replace himself as city council speaker, and he's developed a good relationship with them. So they are definitely hearing from political power brokers. And what's so interesting, Sally, you know, you've covered a number of mayoral administrations, so has Celeste uh, as well. And it's always fascinating to watch how are, you know, how mayors, other electeds as well, but how mayors respond to criticism, particularly when reporters are asking them questions, but also when they find out that someone has leveled an accusation against them and a reporter's relaying it to them. How has Mayor Adams been handling the outcry from unions and regular New Yorkers? How has he handled, and you could talk more specifically in relation to COVID, but just from you following the mayor, how does he handle criticism like this? Uh, not great. You know, he doesn't, I mean, he says he'll talk to anybody, and I think that part is true. But when questions at press conferences are presented from the perspective of somebody who's critical of him, he does, you know, as frankly, as most politicians do, he gets annoyed and defensive. Um, he often anticipates criticism and reacts to it almost before it's even brought to him. Um, you know, the other day, he was asked at a press conference about the vaccine mandate, and he said something like, you know, I've talked about this. I'm done talking about this. Like, I think he doesn't you know, want to be hearing about it. And just just to stay on that for one second, uh, how would you say Bloomberg in terms of his relationship with the press and answering questions that uh, the press is entitled certainly to ask him as the leader of the city, but that he may not love? I mean, the truth is they're all kind of the same. And they have differences in terms of how they present themselves publicly. You know, um, Bloomberg was somewhat aloof and peevish and detached. De Blasio had, you know, kind of a famously bad relationship with the press. And that definitely filtered through to the public. Mayor Adams has a really good ability to, like, smile and seem like he's enjoying himself. He's he's great in front of a camera. He's just like, he's got a charm and a personality that works really well for him. But the sort of the one-on-one or the hand-to-hand combat with the reporters themselves with the Q&A, I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's not great. He doesn't like it. He gets annoyed. He's, you know, he's leveled some, some substantial criticisms that the press corps is not diverse enough and that that's why he gets in his view unfair coverage. Um, and he, you know, it's, it's just not a particularly good relationship. I've never covered anybody 
who seems to like talking to reporters and taking our questions. So I think it's all, you know, it's all, you know, some number of degrees of separation from each other. None of them like it. None of them, you know, seem to take well to it. So, Sally, I want to move on to another topic. You had a very good story this week with Amanda Eisenberg uh, about uh, the mayor launching or a new the launch of a new municipal think tank, uh, a group. And I'm just going to quote from your story that would be established as a nonprofit, nonpartisan clearinghouse for great urban policy ideas and pragmatic solutions to chronic problems. Can you inform our listeners a little about what this think tank is and who's involved with it? Sure. So uh, thank you for, for referencing that. So the think tank is being spearheaded by Tom Allen, who's the publisher of City and State, which is, you know, a, a local publication that covers politics on the city and state level, as its name would suggest. Um, Mr. Allen is really close to Eric Adams. He has a lot of deep ties to him. He was recently appointed, actually, to be on the panel for education policy by Eric Adams, and he has been close to him for years. He he ran his quote-unquote mayor's school, where he sort of introduced him to people in different aspects of civic life as he was gearing up for his run for mayor. Um, now, Mr. Allen says it's going to be a an objective rigorous analysis of the policies coming out of City Hall. You know, I'm kind of a skeptic by profession, so we'll see, right? Like, they're really close. It's hard to imagine that he's going to go out of his way to be critical. I also think they kind of agree on politics and policies. So I'm taking that with a grain of salt. But, you know, what's interesting right now to me is that he's fundraising for it, and he wants to raise a million and a half dollars and he's only raised a quarter of a million, which is really far from his own stated goal. And usually your highest level of popularity as a politician is when you're first elected. So if it's this hard now to raise enough money, I'm not sure how that's going to go as time wears on. So, I'm, you know, I'm curious if this gets off the ground. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. You're listening to Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We're talking to Sally Goldenberg, City Hall Bureau Chief of Politico New York, about Mayor Eric Adams, his administration, and particularly the city's vaccine mandate uh, and exemptions to that mandate for uh, pro athletes and entertainers. Um, Sally, I wanted to ask you one more thing. I probably should have asked about this before when I mentioned the former city council speaker, but even the current city council speaker has had some questions uh, that she's raised publicly, at least in a statement, maybe in subsequent press conferences, about making these exceptions. She's she's basically said, uh, I think the quote is, uh, making these exceptions is a quote, a step away from following sensible public health-driven policies that prioritize equity. Uh what do you think of her making that statement, and how much does it matter uh, whether she and the mayor are on the same page on this stuff? I mean, he can do policy-wise what he wants on this, but it is significant. She's she's so far, it's early in both of their tenures, but she hasn't, she wasn't elected in opposition to him, even though she didn't, she did win over his preferred candidate. But she had endorsed him in the Democratic primary. They're somewhat, you know, similar politically. She's, I think, to the left of him, but they're not so different. And they're, I think, friendly. They went to the same high school. They're the same age. So She's sort of a um, a cautious ally of his, I would say. 
And the fact that she put out, I think the strongest statement she's put out about anything he's done since she took the speakership was a significant step, in my opinion, to just showing her independence from him and her willingness to call him out when she thinks he's wrong. Now, he can do this. He can lift this. He can do these things by mayoral executive order. She could do things like have an oversight hearing, you know, um, to sort of dig up as much information as she can. If she wanted to, I don't know if she would do that. She is, the council has power. It has, you know, there are a number of things it can do when it doesn't like what City Hall is doing. She could do, you know, pass a resolution or pass some type of legislation dealing with this. But ultimately, the power is his to lift this. And she's sort of there to be like a high-level, high-ranking voice in opposition. And I know we only have a few minutes left. I want to go back to uh, the topic that Celeste had brought up early in the show today, which is the mayor's response to uh, what is perceived as increased homelessness on our streets and on our subways uh, within the New York City, within New York City. And the mayor's move to dismantle what were, I think it was more, about 240 homeless encampments across the city. What more can you tell us about how the response the mayor's been getting to, uh, concerning this action? So I think it's mixed. I mean, there are definitely people who, and I think there are many people who are really troubled by the situation on the subways who are probably not out there talking publicly because they're either not fully aware of what's going on or they agree with it. And of course, we in the press, you know, hear from the people who don't agree with them. And so those people are very vocal and we're talking to them. I don't know that they represent a numerical majority of New Yorkers. I don't know that they don't, you know, it's just, it's sort of hard to tell, but in any event, uh, I just wanted to throw that out there, but the people that, you know, we do hear from who are against this feel that it's, you know, too aggressive and too, that it too heavily relies upon police and they're distrustful. You know, the mayor was a police captain himself. He talks about policing and he talks about justice. But there's definitely a reaction to him in the political left that he is too focused on policing and not enough on justice. And the left is particularly concerned, you know, that homeless people will be criminalized, that they will be taken off subways against their will, that their belongings. And I think this does, you know, has happened, unfortunately, to many people when they're moved or relocated. They can't, you know, access their belongings. They get lost in some bureaucratic, you know, red tape. So the mayor has said he will voucher their stuff so that they can get them, but that's come up as, you know, a concern. But there's definitely been a pretty strong reaction from that segment of people who feel like this is just too heavy-handed. There should be social workers and mental health professionals either with the police, which the mayor has said there will be, or exclusively, and they don't want police at all. And Sally Goldberg, in the moment that we have left here, uh, what what are you watching over the next week, couple of weeks? What should we be uh, looking for in terms of news? So at the moment, the big news is coming out of Albany. We're all waiting for the state budget. We're waiting to see what it says, you know, what the lawmakers decide on bail reform, whether they keep the reforms that were put in place in, I believe, 2019 or roll them back or tweak them. Um, a few other things we're looking at is what they do on a property tax break, known as 421A, which is highly controversial, comes up every four years, and is sunsetting this year. And the development community says without this, there will be no incentive to do rental housing because it's too expensive without a tax break. Without housing, our rents will probably go up because it's supply and demand. But the other, you know, the argument against it 
is just like it's a sweetheart deal for developers who don't need it. So that's on the line. Um, the mayor's control of the public school system is on the line. I don't think that will be decided in the budget. It'll come later. But those are the things that are kind of percolating in Albany right now as the budget deadline comes up. Sally Goldenberg, we're going to need to wrap up this show. Where can our listeners go if they want to follow your coverage and learn more about you? So um, my stories are on Politico's website, politico.com. Often they're on, you know, the homepage, but they're also on the New York tab. And I'm on Twitter. I tweet a lot. At Sally Gold is my handle. More than 27,000 followers on Twitter. I'm very impressed by that. I that's you, you know, you. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> Sally Goldberg, thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI this afternoon. Thank you. So you've been listening to WBAI New York. This is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons, joined as always by my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And if you're just tuning in, we were talking with Sally Goldenberg, City Hall Bureau Chief for Politico New York. We had a great discussion about an important topic, the vaccine mandate exemptions for pro athletes and performers, but not for public workers. This is a great time, though, to remind you that in order to keep bringing you conversations like the one we just had about topics that you care about, women's issues, safety in our city, our public schools, COVID-19, the war in Ukraine, we need your help. So please, just take a few moments today and go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you can to support this radio station. You can make a one-time donation, but in celebration of Women's History Month, we've been asking folks to become BAI buddies and give sustaining contributions of $15 or more each month. That's what I do. I'm a BAI buddy. I'd love for you to do that as well. And by making a recurring donation, you get to get to help keep free speech radio alive and well in New York. That's WBAI.org. And we also have a special page, women.wbai.org, which was set up for Women's History Month. Today is that final day of the month. So your donation today will help. We'll send a wonderful, we will send you a wonderful thank you gift with your donation. Our Women's History Audio Collection. It is packed with 79 hours of amazing sound showcasing women's history through restored recordings that date back to the earliest days of community radio broadcasting in 1949. So check it out at women.wbai.org. Absolutely. And, you know, here at WBAI, we really try to keep our finger on the pulse of what New York cares about. We don't bring you a lot of fluffy stuff. We have programs that are fun for entertainment, and that's cool. Uh, lots and lots of programs here about culture, politics, public policy, uh, you know, race, gender, lots of wonderful things to listen to. And we don't make you sit through endless commercials to do it. We are a nonprofit, listener-supported radio station. That means we rely on your help. So WBAI BAI has been around for more than 60 years. We'd like to keep it going for at least another 60. Help us out today. Go to WBAI.org and click on Ways to Donate, WBAI.org. Your donation of just $25 or more makes you a member of the station. That means you can participate in votes that determine the future and direction of independent free speech radio in the greatest city in the world. And I always like to remind you, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and that means your gift can be taxed deductible. So do something great for New York and get yourself a nice tax break to boot. Go to WBAI.org. Look for ways to donate every gift, every 
gift help keep helps us keep free speech radio alive when we need it most. And we're now halfway through the show. So if you just tuned in, we want to remind you, you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined as always by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And as mentioned just a few minutes ago, WBAI has been presenting a series of special reports to commemorate Women's History Month. So we're about to share one of those with you. This next brief segment comes from Gloria Brown Marshall, host of the WBAI program, Law of the Land. So let us take a listen to her story of a women's rights activist, abolitionist, and devoted mother, Sojourner Truth. This is Gloria J. Brown Marshall, host of Law of the Land and author of She Took Justice, The Black Woman, Law and Power. And this is a profile in women's history. Sojourner Truth was born Isabel Baumfrey in 1797 in upstate New York. Sojourner Truth believed women lacked a voice in court, and she would have her opportunity to lead by example in three cases. Truth's first lawsuit was brought to regain custody of her young son, Peter, five years old, who was kidnapped by slave traders. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 spurred these abductions. Little protection was available through the courts or law enforcement. New York law prohibited the abduction of free Africans for enslavement. Perpetrators could receive a fine or imprisonment. However, the tepid effort on the part of law enforcement meant Africans in the northern free states had only themselves for protection against bounty hunters. First, Sojourner Truth searched on foot over many miles for those who had kidnapped Peter. Truth tracked them down. But knowing the courts would offer her only meager assistance, these men willingly admitted to the crime. However, Truth sought the assistance of Quakers and other abolitionists who helped her retain an attorney. Since Peter had been born into slavery, however, there was no birth certificate to indicate that she was his mother. And the man who had Peter had severely beaten him to the point that Peter denied truth in court, crying out as if his mother was some terrible monster. But truth persisted. The court ruled the boy was indeed her son and they were reunited. Truth's second lawsuit was for defamation. She was a minister who was accused of a terrible crime. But she brought her lawsuit and won receiving a $125 defamation award in damages. Her third lawsuit was in Washington, D.C. Truth was trying to board a streetcar there. The conductor began to drive away, dragging Sojourner Truth several blocks, causing great physical injury and humiliation. Truth had that conductor arrested. Later on, he lost his job and was convicted. Sojourner Truth says... If women want more rights than they got, then they need to just take them and not be talking about it. Sojourner Truth is this woman in history I admire so much. This has been a moment in women's history. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. You're listening to Driving Forces with me, Celeste Katz-Marston, and Jeff Simmons. That was a great segment. Uh, you've, if you've been listening to the program lately, uh, if you've been listening to the station lately, uh, producers here at BAI have made a wonderful batch of these segments throughout Women's History Month, and they really underscore, I think, how WBAI goes the extra mile to make our programming interesting and unique, Jeff. 
You know, and what's so interesting is we keep talking about becoming a BAI buddy. I am not a tech savvy guy and Celeste, you know that. That's why sometimes there's lots of sound issues on the show because I can't figure <laughs> out how to turn a microphone off on Aww. my phone. But I bring this up because it was so simple and so easy to become a BAI buddy online. It doesn't take, I mean, it is just filling out the form. You, you know, you're entering your information so we can send you the special gifts. So if you like what you're hearing on driving forces or really if you like what you're hearing on any of the shows here on BAI, become a BAI buddy in the name of that program or hopefully in the name of this program. It is super easy, takes just a few moments. Trust me, as someone who's not that technologically adept, I found it very easy to do. We are not asking for your contributions to pay our bills, mine or Celeste's. We're basically asking you to support the station so that we can stay on the air. So most of the hosts you hear, like Celeste and I, were volunteers. We give our time because we care about free speech radio and we believe in listening to guests with different viewpoints and we believe in giving important issues more than a quick headline. So before we ask you to call in, please take just a tiny part out of your day to do something really important for us. Go to WBAI.org and click on ways to donate. And as Celeste said a few moments ago, in doing so, you are keeping free speech radio alive and well in the greatest city in the world. It's WBAI.org. And coming up, we are going to give you your chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What do you think of these exemptions for the vaccine mandate? Are they fair? Are they unfair? Did you lose your job or have to consider leaving your job because you did not want to get vaccinated or could not get vaccinated for some medical reason? Or do you believe in vaccination and do you think that it should apply equally to everyone. We really want to hear from you on this. It's important to talk about it. Please call in 212-209-2877. While we wait for the board to light up, again, you can always go to WBAI.org and give generously to support this station. Give us a call 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. We'll be back after a quick musical break.
Janet Jackson, Pleasure Principal here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming via WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, my, my, my sidekick. Oh, Jeff. Sidekick? Jeff Simmons. I know, right? <laughs> I started saying it, then I shouldn't say it, but I had already said it. That's okay. This is, this is Driving Forces. It is time to hear from you once again. The number, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. What did you think of our talk with Sally Goldenberg of Politico New York. What do you think about making vaccine mandate exemptions for pro athletes? Does Kyrie Irving deserve a break on this when firefighters and teachers and even students who want to go to prom don't get one? 212-209-2877. We're going to go to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. What's on your mind today? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having Ms. Golden on. She was very informative. To, um, I'm unclear about um, the mandate in the context that would you agree that the shots that they're giving people fail to limit spread and fail, I should say, stop spread and fail to keep people from getting the disease? Do you would agree I, with that? Do I, well, uh, let me make sure I'm phrasing it right. What I can say is that I believe that the COVID-19 vaccine uh, cannot completely prevent everyone from getting the disease. But I do think it seriously, seriously decreases the likelihood that you will get COVID. And I think it decreases the likelihood that you will get very sick or die if you do contract the virus. That is and my, I jump that in here. Opinion. Yeah, go ahead. And I jump in here, and I'll pause. But because, and I mm-hmm. agree with Celeste simply because I had the two shots and the booster, and uh, and uh, and got COVID, but it was not that. Bad. I mean, for me, thankfully, it was not that bad. It was mild, but it was mostly I was exhausted for two weeks. Uh, but I, you know, I just think of what might have happened had I not had the vaccination. That's just my personal belief. Oh, but just one moment. We're talking about a mandate. The purpose of the mandate is to stop spreading, stop the spreading of the disease. Is that correct? Yeah, and I think that if fewer people, if people get vaccinated, fewer people will get the disease. If fewer people get the disease, it, fewer people will be spreading the disease. That's not what the CDC website says. Nor does it. Nor if you ask, um, what's her name, Walensky, directly the question: yeah, Does it stop? Spread and does it stop the disease? I understand people's personal um, things about that, but if you're going to, first of all, mandate something, make it a law, cost people their jobs over something that, and I'm going to say something that's controversial, but if you look at the CDC website, even the fourth shot that the president just got, under emergency use. The term under emergency use means that you are, are authorizing something that there are limited or no treatments for, and therefore you have to still use emergency use. The, that, the, the shots that are approved aren't even available in the United States of America yet, still. And we're talking, this is two years in. So, so- if you're going to mandate something that is still not FDA approved, however, is approved for emergency mm-hmm. use. They don't even, the people fail to re- even report 
emergency use anymore. They just say it's approved by the CDC. And, and I think it makes a large difference if you're going to take somebody's job while you're, you're conducting an experiment because that's what emergency use means. So I would suggest everybody put BAI in as your cause, go to Good Search, and go to the CDC website and look at what they're saying. It's unfair to mandate something that's still experimental. Otherwise, it would be fully approved by the FDA. And I'd like somebody to do a story on BAI stating that all the shots available in New York City are fully approved by the FDA for full use. Without okay. Yeah, thank use. you. Thank you for thank you for your call. And we've got you know, and we thank you for the call. Uh, you know, we've got a few other callers, and we want to hear their opinions as well on this because we know our time is limited. We're going to get to that next call right now. You are on the air at WBAI. What is your name and where are you from? It's Russ Jeff. Okay, we're going to cut off that call right now. We're going to just cut that call because in the last few times, uh, Reggie, you can cut that call. We've made a point where, you know, because we've made a decision that when people are calling and they're going to be abusive with hosts uh, on this show or other shows, we're not going to have them on the show. So let's get to the next call. Okay. Next caller. Uh, welcome to WBAI. What's your name? And where are you from? Uh, Brother David. Hi. And what's on your mind today? Uh, what's on my mind is uh, I've been thinking about uh, I've been told that you can uh, get COVID if you've had the vaccination or you can uh, give it to somebody else even if you've had the vaccination. And uh, there are prophylactic ways to protect yourself from uh, this particular uh, uh, virus. So, uh I don't see anyone uh, suggesting that people ought to uh, take the prophylactic methods to protect yourself uh, from uh, COVID-19. And as a matter of fact, uh, this morning I heard uh, someone on a news program at BAI talking about uh, how any prophylactic treatment, like uh, they mentioned one drug, uh, was like for horse medicine or uh, uh, veterinary use. The, uh, the dewormer, basically? Yes, I mean, there's a lot of uh, medications are used for veterinary purposes and also for human medicine. And there so, was just, I, I just want to, I just want to mention while we're talking about this, that there was just recently released a major study on the effect of ivermectin, which was being pushed by a, a number of people, uh, I believe mainly outside the, the actual, uh, medical space, but, uh, some people even within the, the, the medical field were pushing ivermectin. And it was shown in this study, which was a, a very broad scale study, I believe out of Brazil, that the drug did not work, that it did not work to treat or, or to prevent uh, COVID-19. Now, there are certainly, I think to your point, there are certainly therapeutic medications that we have now that we did not have in the past, uh, monoclonal antibodies, for example. There are treatments that can make your experience, if you do contract COVID-19, much, much better, much, much easier than it was at the beginning of the pandemic when, you know, forgive me for, for being graphic, but when we were seeing bodies loaded into refrigerator trucks outside of hospitals because so many people were dying so fast and 
so painfully that the city was overwhelmed, particularly New York City, but also uh, lots of other places in the United States and in the world. So Again, if you were just, and thank you for your call. If you are uh, still waiting to call in, please, uh, please hold the line. Uh, if you are waiting to get on the air, 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We are talking about vaccine mandates in New York City. I believe we have another person on the line. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? please. Hello? Hi, that's you. Oh, okay. Hi. Uh, my name's Eddie from the Bronx. Uh, I was, um, I did not get the vaccine. And from what, from what I've seen at work, um, it, it like affects people differently because I was working in the same patrol car as uh, somebody that did catch COVID. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch it. And, and what I didn't understand about the mandate was at first they said you could either get tested every week or you get the vaccine. So I chose to get tested every week. So every week I'd, I'd, I'd come into work, I'd get the COVID test. You get the results the following week. And um, then after that, they wanted you to put in a religious accommodation by the, towards the end of October. I put mm-hmm. in a religious accommodation because I didn't want to get the vaccine. Now, like I said, I, I, there were other coworkers who on patrol who did get COVID they were out for a while, and then they came back to work. Some got it more severe than others. Others got, like, little sniffles, and they came back to work. Like, from what I saw, it affected people differently. And, you know, we have to, when you take a prisoner, you got to take them to the hospital. You got to take them to the hospital, take them to central booking. And you're in the same car with this prisoner because you got to transport them. And then, you know, as a part of uh, 911, you respond to all the uh, 911 calls, family disputes, uh, robbery here, uh, EDP there, and you go into you go into people's houses, you're right. out in the street, and coming into contact with all these people is like okay. When I finally did catch it, I only had like a little runny nose, and that was it. I don't know if it's because you know since I've, I'm I'm in my mid 40s, but since I've been seven, 16, 17 years old, I've always been in physical activity like either martial arts, playing baseball. Weight, weight training, well, that's that's a constant, and eating healthy. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it, from what I've seen, it affects people differently because most of the guys that I know that work out and go to the gym, I still see them there. And they told me when, when whatever they caught, it, it wasn't something that put them, like, out, like they had to go to the hospital. So, so I'm, I think I'm it curious. affects people differently. And then, oh, okay, yeah, what's the question? Oh, no, I'm curious. While we have you here, and I'm really glad you called in. And, and I think your your story is very interesting. And the fact that you've been, you know, in contact with people that you chose, uh, that you chose not to get the vaccine, but that you've been, um, you know, getting these tests, uh, you know, weekly. And also, I'm sure that uh, this is something that we've heard about the people with compromised immune systems or people who are already in, in less than excellent health are more, um, are more susceptible to the virus. But I'm curious as to what you think um, when you see somebody like Kyrie Irving getting a pass and, you know, everybody has to get the vaccine or make these special accommodations and now they don't. How do you feel about that as somebody who's been living this? Okay. Um, there's like a couple of things with that. One, yeah. I think, uh, I don't know why they went from going to get tested every week if you don't want to get the vaccine. So you must get the vaccine. Otherwise, we're going to, what they wanted to do with us was uh, put us on leave without pay. And then the next step, they were going to terminate us. Like, 
You mean after I've been working for so many years, you're going to terminate me and I didn't do anything wrong just because I chose not to get a vaccine? But I was taking the test, you know, we, every week. That that right there was like a big inconsistency. I thought that they had that set up. They were just going through the motions because they wanted everybody to get the, to force everybody to get the vaccine somehow at the end. And they just said, okay, we'll let you put in a religious accommodation. Then after the, the you know, the department decided that whoever put in for the religious accommodation, I don't know how many they, they accepted, but then I, I was also turned down. And then you had a, a certain amount of days to put in for an appeal, which I, I didn't see the point because if you're turning, turning people down now, like at the end, at the end of the appeal, it was going to come back to the same decision. Either you get the vaccine or you get, you know, dismissed from work or suspended or whatever they were going to do. That, to me, was inconsistent with giving the option in the, the beginning. But like I said, I think that it was just going through the motions. Uh, but now with Kyrie Irving, um, okay, like, it, it didn't make sense for, you know, he like he's he's in the building with a whole bunch of people and, you know, and he's not playing. So for that, he might as well play. And, and again, I think it should have been a personal choice. But if you're going to make an exception for him, the like a lot of 911 responders, whether you're EMT and, and uh, uh, police, police or, or or firefighters, where you're going to people's houses, and some like like I said, it a lot of guys who who finally did get it, it's not like it put them in the hospital. Right. It affects people differently. Right. So, if right. you're going to make an exception for him, then you got to make an exception for everybody else. Why? Because he makes millions of dollars? <laughs> that, that would seem to be the question. And I want to everybody thank you else, for your call. Else, I, yeah, like, I, like has a family to feed, too, you, you know? So yeah. they didn't do anything wrong other than cho- chose not to, you know, choose not to get the vaccine. And it's because well, I, you, you've, you've had these policies that you've been changing them every so often and I, like i said i think they only put those policies to go through the motions like well we did this then we did this then we did that but at the end that's what you wanted is it a big pharma scam that's my question and and you know i make jokes about it like yeah, it's probably a big pharma scam he probably got money invested in 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 uh, pfizer and moderna and by you forcing putting these policies to get everybody to get it then yeah you're going to get a big dividend at the end of the year or whatever well i think that and i i wish i wish as always i wish we had more time i want to thank you for your call there's a lot there and i don't think for sure this is not the last time we're going to be talking about covid or about the vaccine or about how the administration applies rules to certain groups of people but for the moment let me just ask you quickly jeff what is coming up on city watch this sunday this Sunday, 10 a.m., David Brand will be hosting. He'll be interviewing Anna Maria Archilla, candidate for lieutenant governor in New York State and the co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy. He will also talk with State House reporter Zach Williams from City and State, but soon, according to his announcement yesterday, uh, the New York Post, about the New York, New York State budget, which lawmakers are up in Albany hashing out as we speak. And it doesn't seem, according to a story in the New York Times an hour ago, doesn't seem like they're going to make that deadline by midnight tonight. One last little tiny thing coming up in two weeks here on uh, when we're back on Driving Forces. We will have the author of a book called Pandemic Incorporated. I bring this up because this has been a topic we've talked about today about the about uh, COVID. This book 
it, it's just appalling when I've been reading and I'm halfway through about all of the fraud that has taken place across our country amid the pandemic, Celeste. Really looking forward to that program. We are off next week, as Jeff says, but we will be back in two weeks with that story uh, and about that book, talking about that book, Pandemic Inc. For today, thanks to our special guest, Sally Goldenberg of Politico New York. Thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, to our callers, and to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. One final reminder that your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive at WBAI during Women's History Month and all year round is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to honor women and to support this station. That's WBAI.org. You missed any part of the program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with your hosts, Celeste Katz, Marston, and Jeff Simmons. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. Thanks for listening and see you on the radio.